0: On today's episode of Talkin' Tom, we're watching Philadelphia, the drama that earned Tom his first Academy Award for Best Actor.
1: Philadelphia is a 1993 drama directed by Jonathan Demme and was the first major studio film to focus on the AIDS epidemic.
0: So, if you're interested in a discussion about representation in media, Tom as a dramatic actor, and the cultural impact of this film, keep listening.
1: My mom always said, Life was like a box of chocolates.
0: What a Pank's head.
1: Welcome back.
0: Another episode of Pod Hanks Tomcast.
1: Pod, Pod, Pod Hanks Tomcast. Oh,
0: no, I s- Let me start over. Like, for real, start over, you think?
1: No, I think I think you gotta keep it in. Okay, we're It's going. a strong start to an episode that will not keep that energy.
0: Yeah, yikes. Okay. <laughs> uh, welcome back to another episode of Talking Tom, the Pod Hanks Tomcast, where we watch Tom Hanks movies and then we talk about them.
1: Talk all things Tom.
0: My name's Josie. I'm Daniel. And today we watched a movie called Philadelphia. That we did. A little film called Philadelphia.
1: A little 90s drama starring not only Tom Hanks, but Denzel Washington.
0: And Antonio Banderas. Yeah, it's got the... That, um, that one lady who's in a bunch of stuff.
1: I forget, like in The Leftovers and... Yeah. Should have looked up her she's name. She's in everything. She's incredible in everything she's in.
0: She's...
1: <laughs> it was really weird to see her because it was like...
0: What, I, yeah. Right. She's in like every everything, truly.
1: Well, how's life been for you?
0: You know, I can't complain. It's hot as hell. It is very hot. In Los Angeles. Um, I work nights.
1: Then you can avoid the heat.
0: That's true. Um, I sleep with the AC on all day.
1: Oh, that's true. Didn't think about that.
0: I'm rich though, so <laughs> it
1: does the not AC. matter. <laughs>
0: um, started dating again.
1: Oh, that's exciting. See, Sleepless in Seattle sparked... Uh,
0: it lit a, a little flame of hope <laughs> inside of me.
1: The lantern, the little birdhouse in your soul.
0: Yeah. Uh, nothing meaningful yet, but I actually went on an actual date, which was kind of a huge deal for me, so... That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> well, um... I'm trying to think of vibe. I haven't. I had some. I've had a lot of. We had a lot of people visiting lately. Yeah. So, uh, always a chance to like show off the city. At this point, we've had enough people visit that I've got kind of how you show LA off, where you go, when you go.
0: What are what's some of actually your
1: Well I think things like the observatory is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a primo. I like to go. I like Santa Monica. There's those scooters now. The the scooters the you can ride. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. It's a great way to explore. Like. Venice, Santa Monica, and Rogers Beach in, like, one swoop. Because you kind of get away from the tourists, you can get on the scooters and see the ocean. Right. But they just, as of two days ago, have uh, new rules in Santa Monica that you can't ride the scooters on the bike pass anymore uh, oh. by the beach. So they're borderline useless. Yeah, and where do regard? you ride them? You, on the street, I guess. Yikes. It's weird. I was really disappointed. But we'd, it's cool. Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah.
0: Santa Monica oh i love
1: um el matador beach oh that's
0: my favorite beach
1: that's the best one to show because that's the most like showy like look at this get a grant get an instagram photo here
0: you know what else is a good one what um el pescador i realize like that's not what this podcast is about but that's (laughs) another good beach in malign i've never
1: i've never been to that one
0: it's one step further than el matador and it's way less crowded Oh, that's why i like it does it have
1: the cool little caves
0: no it's pretty flat uh,
1: okay but a good place to like hang out.
0: Yeah, if you were gonna like go to the beach, that's a good yeah. place
1: for that. And then I kind of feel like everything else is like food based. We're gonna go here because there's a great place to eat. Yeah. There's so much good food. Can't deny that. Easy well, to just.
0: Pretty soon, people will be able to take the Danielot tour.
1: Yeah, I'll make a <laughs> blog post about here's everything I ate.
0: Here's <laughs> <Pretty> what <laughs> I exciting. eat in Los Angeles. Ooh. It's me at Taco Bell every day.
1: Yeah, we did eat a Taco Bell once, so... Mm. I got the proper tour.
0: Good. The L.A., uh...
1: The <laughs> whole chippe.
0: Yeah. Well.
1: So have you ever seen this movie before?
0: Oh, boy, I have not. Okay. Uh, what...
1: Uh... I mean, this one's one that's pretty ingrained in culture. Yeah. So I imagine you kind of knew what it, what it was going in. I knew degree. it was
0: about AIDS, but that was literally it. I didn't know who had it. Yeah. I didn't know well, the premise of the film... I just knew it was, like, a dark drama that everyone kept saying, like, when I, when I tell people I haven't seen this movie, that's the one that people are like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think of it. So, caught me off guard, I guess.
1: I think in the realm of Tom Hanks movies watch this is definitely the darkest subject matter to my memory. Yeah. There's some stuff. We've got some movies coming up that really go toe-to-toe in that regard, Oof. but, um... Yeah, this one's, this one's a doozy. I've seen it a few times. I don't remember the first time I saw it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I f- want to say it was school-related. Oh. But then when I rewatched it, I'm like, that doesn't... I mean, there's not a lot going on in the movie that would not let it be school-appropriate, minus some language. I mean, subject matter's there, but it's also stuff that's important to talk about. So I wonder if I just made that up in my head that I watched it in school. Yeah. But I watched it. The, the director, Jonathan Demme, he directed, like, Silence of the Lambs yeah. and... Something Wild and uh the Talking Heads movie. So when he passed away last year, I went through his filmography and so I caught this along the way. It was a pre talking tom refresh. Cool. I still watched it again today, but...
0: but yeah. Well yeah, we should talk we didn't watch the movie together because no. I work the night shift. So my schedules life schedules are shambles. tough right now. Um and yeah. I watched this movie in the comfort of my bedroom at like 3 p.m. on a Tuesday or whatever day it is. That's
1: a good way to like somewhere safe and secure that you can kind of wrap up with.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, why don't you sum up the movie for the the few people who probably haven't seen it, For
1: the uninitiated. Philadelphia is about uh, Tom Hanks, who is a gay man in Philadelphia, uh, who is suffering from AIDS. Um, and he starts the movie. We learn really quickly that he's taking treat, like, uh, treatments for it and attempting to kind of figure out what this is going to do for him. Cause it's spoken many times that it's untreatable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a, he's an, a lawyer at a pretty prestigious law firm. And he's just made, he starts the movie like on top of the world. Like he's got a big promotion for a huge case he's been wanting to get involved with. And this is really going to like set him up for the future of his career. Meanwhile, he's uh, treating his, uh, his illness. Uh, and then we also meet Denzel Washington, who is another lawyer, but he is this sort of one of those lawyers that advertises all over the city and has a lot of TV campaigns, and he's kind of a, I'll take any case, I win a lot of them, and I'm, it's for fast money, like as many cases he can do. And you kind of learn about him that he doesn't really care what kind of case it is, so he'll just take it. Uh, but, but through a series of events, Tom Hanks is let go from his job, uh, al- allegedly for... For not doing part of his job correctly, and he wants to sue the company that fired him because they—he believes they fired him because he has AIDS—and so him and Denzel, after some on and off, will he take the case type of stuff, team up to take down this company.
0: Yeah, it's kind of intense. Yeah,
1: Um, there's a lot of details that go into like the what's what that I think we'll get into because it's really important to the characters in it.
0: Yeah, so so Tom plays a man named Andy Beckett, Mm -hmm. and Denzel plays a man named Joe Miller. And they seem to be pretty opposite in terms of, like, the the people that they represent. They even start the movie kind of battling each other in about a case. Some construction
1: company... It's like a case that Joe is fighting for a client, but kind of, seems a little I mean he's he's in when he's doing a case, he is in absolutely giving it all to his case. Yeah. And you sort of wonder at the beginning if it's something he's really passionate about, but I think it's just a hired gun job.
0: Yeah, that's what I started to pick up on too. Um, so they know each other, but they don't really seem to work together often, which no. makes sense.
1: They're fighting against each other in the beginning.
0: Yeah. What do we know about Andy Beckett? As a character.
1: We don't know much in the beginning because we're just sort of shown that he's on a series of successes. Mm-hmm. They do a really smart thing where they build him up really quickly and you're kind of just like... You're on top of the world with him. Yeah. And then we jump to a scene where he's being treated in a hospital. For They don't say it right off the bat. They keep kind of avoiding, but...
0: He looks perfectly healthy. Yeah. Full head of hair. They're talking um, about like his blood something and... As someone who hadn't seen the movie, watching it, I was like, "Weird. I wonder who's sick. Like, yeah. I, I wonder if he's there preventatively. I had no. I really had no idea."
1: Yeah, they they kind of, it's sort of directed to be, who a who has it, but also like how you you. I think that we as the audience expect that we're going to see how he gets it, because mm-hmm. I think the general consensus is like it's this contagious thing that can afflict you in some way, and the movie goes into that uh, mm-hmm. a lot of. People are, once they learn that he has AIDS, people are afraid of him because they think that his cough or a handshake could spread.
0: Yeah. And maybe we should, before we jump into talking about who Joe Miller is, maybe lay out the context of like the climate that this movie is, is, was made in. Yeah. Um, Things are different now. Obviously, 2018, um, we have a lot, we know a lot more about HIV AIDS. We know a lot more about how it's spread and how it's um how it can be treated but back in the 90s right when this movie takes place n- nobody really knew and it and they the movie does a really good job of kind of addressing those concerns and the movie is made for the people who aren't understanding and are uninitiated and made to be really palatable for that kind of viewer yeah you put two characters huge well-known actors, huge big box office draws anyway, Denzel and Tom, and you put them in this movie about a subject that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with. And that's part... I mean, we'll talk about that later, but that's part of why this movie was such a huge success.
1: Yeah. Like, it does paint a good job of the world at large at that point. Um in a way that uh, sometimes vilifies people for it, but at the same time also points out that it is, like, an an uneducated problem. People Mm -hmm. have these assumptions that are incorrect, but they don't know they're incorrect yet. Yeah. Um, Because, like, we have, there's a scene where Denzel goes to the doctor to, like, make sure that, like, shaking someone's hand couldn't spread something. Mm -hmm. And um, the doctor's like, you can't get it that way. And... But even the doctor's like, but do you want to do a blood test because like, what well, I don't know what you're doing in your personal life. But yeah, he kind of implies it's a weird, it's a it's a very, uh, da- not dangerous not in terms of stuff spreading, but dangerous in like the worldview where people, people's assumptions are dangerous.
0: Yeah, I remember watching. This is kind of a, a tangent that I'm going to go off on in high school, 2009, when I was like a junior or senior in high school. Uh, we watched a movie about AIDS. And I remember it being, like, one of those, those movies that was, like, made to scare you. Yeah. About how it's contracted. And I think they touched a little bit about how it wasn't a disease that just, like, was contracted by people who had gay sex. Yeah. If that's, like, the message. But it was, like, basically that was, like, just don't have gay sex and you'll be chill.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, that was how it was taught in Oklahoma schools, too, mm-hmm. where I remember it being taught very, like, Fearfully, and like the ways you get it are like these immoral, quote unquote, immoral ways that. Right. But if you're just a good, you know, you're good and you're abstaining from things and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, bo- like mindset. it was
0: like a punishment.
1: Yeah. As if it was something we had. Did. It was almost something like the homosexual community had done to themselves. It was mm-hmm. almost, in a way, I remember it as a kid. That's
0: exactly how I viewed yeah. it. Which is. Without obviously any all education. All kinds of. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. Um, so, which is super interesting, because if this was released in '93, and you know, this is the mid mid late two thousands, we're still hearing this. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very, very curious.
0: It is. So, Joe Miller, played by Denzel Washington, is also a lawyer. We talked about how he takes these cases. He's like the TV lawyer. He's the one everybody recognizes. Um, he's a huge homophobe.
1: Yeah. He's, he's like, a, a big and he's asshole. a new father.
0: Yes. That's important,
1: too. Yes. The way he's presented is the way he approaches... Um, he's yeah, he's, an, he's a huge homophobe, and there's a big conversation he has with his wife where he's, you know, I hate them, I hate this and that. And it's really interesting because he was cast... Um, Joe's played by Denzel Washington, a black actor, mm-hmm. and who's played in a lot of things that deal with racism, and so that is a discrimination property that is then being inflicted on the homosexual community in the movie, so it's a really interesting... Choice to cast a black actor to play someone who's discriminating against others, uh, and then kind of turn it around and make that sort of this moral question of like, how can you exist this way? I agree. And he finds out like his he has extended family on his wife's side that's gay, and makes some comments to his newborn about like you know well don't hang out with your aunt anymore and type of stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and that sort of all comes to fruition until he's in the library and gets a really really uncomfortable stare from a white guy at the library that has, I think, racist overtones. Yeah. Where he sort of, like, clicks into gear. A, yeah. Like, oh, what am I doing? Yeah. Thing. But I think it's also really honest because if if he's scared of the AIDS virus and unclear of with the, how the world looked at homosexuality, then it makes sense that he can't just be good from the get-go to, like, really have the impact I think the movie wants.
0: Yeah. I think his character even was was there to... He represents the viewer. Kind of saying like, I I don't know anything about this disease. I don't know anything about how I can get it. He gets like nervous. Tom's in the same room as, or uh, sorry, not Tom. Andy Beckett (laughs) is in the same room as him. He has an open lesion on his forehead and he puts his hat down on the table. And that whole scene is like, it's, it does a really good job of kind of portraying what Denzel Denzel Washington's character is is thinking like you know he's he's gonna like go wash his hands and he goes to the doctor immediately to like make sure he doesn't have AIDS from being in the same room as a man
1: yeah and he won't take the case we've seen him take We there was a scene where he takes a case that is clearly questionable mm. about someone who injured themselves and the way that they did it they t- all, in, the, in the, the room we see it and he takes full fault for it and he's like is there a case to sue the city for this and he's like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. like we'll take care of it so we've so seen his sort of moral compass, and it's right. not there, so him turning down this case. To us, we're like, oh, that's sort of crazy.
0: Yeah. And really what this, I mean, the huge, big conversation that that the movie dances around until, like, the, I don't know, the middle half is that the issue, it's not a movie just about AIDS. It's a movie about It's the I don't know it's like what it's like a movie about gay rights. Like it's about yeah. human rights. It's about something that people were so fearful of and so hateful of that I not I have a hard time even like remembering when it was like that. Like when as a country we were so hateful towards people who were gay. And I'm lucky that I don't like remember that.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because then it takes place in an urban environment, mm. which I think generally we think of as like these liberal bubbles. Right. And, uh, and then we watch, and then it's like lawyers and a system of people that were sort of taught to trust, you know, they're doing good by the law, and then you watch them fall apart to take people down for no reason. I mean, no reason, we, we think it's wrong reasoning, and it is wrong reasoning, but to them it's this, they're, it's the they're right justified. thing to do. justified,
0: Yeah. A totally different political climate at least that I'm that I'm used to. I've lived in mm-hmm. pretty liberal bubbles though my whole life. so
1: So we the, I mean from being from Oklahoma it was the opposite, which is really interesting. Um, but so then as the movie goes along, we, we sort of learn uh, that Andy is fired from his job because this big case that he's doing, some paperwork has been lost and they're on a time crunch to get it turned in and if they don't, this case is done. And he was like, I I put it on my desk, it's on my computer, and it's been deleted on the computer, it's not on the desk. And then miraculously, at the last minute, it it arrives and they fire Andy because he almost ruined the case, so they say. So he goes to find a lawyer to sue them Mm -hmm. for what they did. Um, And no one will take his case. And so he ends up back in Joe's office. Sort of a, A, someone who he's already fought with in court and not gotten along with in that regard. And B, is like, we know that Joe is someone who will take any case. and But he's also like this TV lawyer. He's not like this prestigious, respected lawyer in the right. realm of law. He is like the person that he's the cash grab almost.
0: He's like the last option. Yeah. Like he had gone to every other lawyer and he yeah. was like, I don't want to touch
1: this. And Joe won't take it at first. And mm-hmm. so Andy decides to represent himself. And in the scene that takes place in the library, which I mentioned before, there's a racist guy who gives Joe a a hard stare that makes him uncomfortable. And then he he watches someone deal with Andy in this really strange way where they're like, maybe you would prefer to study in this side room. And he's like, would that make you comfortable if I was there? And then Joe steps in and spends some time with Andy and kind of learns about things and then decides to take his case.
0: That scene was one of my favorites yeah. in the movie. The reason he's in the library is because he's trying to find examples of past precedent in related, like in relation to um, workplace discrimination against people who have AIDS. And there is precedent already set and that's yeah. what he's there to find. And, he, and the big point of that is that um, having AIDS counts as a handicap because not only does it lead to your eventual death like your human body death mm-hmm. but it's a social death yeah and that when t- when uh, Andy delivers that line when he says that I mean that was like a, a wonderful display of Tom's acting abilities first of all but uh, just like it really drives like hits home that that we've just seen enacted we've just seen the way people are looking at him in the library so terrified and disgusted and like Horrified of this man who's sick. Like, it's so fucked up. It, like, doesn't even make sense. Like, what? Oh, it's just, it's, like, makes me hurt thinking about... It's like kicking someone when they're down. Like, he's already sick. Why are you treating and, him like and that? And he's
1: physically deteriorating at that point. Like, right. he's got noticeable. no hair, skinnier. And we, as the audience, are, like, watching him start his gradual decline. Yeah. And, and I feel like it, it sort of is morbid in that regard, because I don't think... You have hope for what's to come in the court, but I don't think the movie ever presents hope and what's to come for Andy. Yeah. Which is very dark, but also sets like a specific tone that uh, helps the movie. Yeah. Really get its message across.
0: Yeah. So they eventually, they work together. Yeah. They, t- they go to trial.
1: Comes a big courtroom drama. For yeah. a lot longer than I thought. I, in my head, there was more of the beginning of the movie, but there's like, no. 30, like... 25, 30 minutes of the movie, and then there's an hour and a half of the court. Yeah. We get a few moments where we see like Andy going to visit friends and family and his partner who's played by Antonio Banderas, like a really young Antonio Banderas before like, yeah. he was a big notable actor Puss
0: which is really boots.
1: cool before Puss and boots yeah before he got into the Shrek He's franchise most
0: notice- notable <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh we were huge mask of Zorro fans in my family, so we big on that, okay, but uh. Yes, we we see glimpses of his life and then we start to see, some not as much, but some of Joe's home life that starts to shift as he starts to shift. Because in public, he starts to be approached by, like he's asked out by a gay man and has a huge reaction to it. And he's already working with Andy at this point, Uh but he's still got that deep-seated discrimination kind of built into him.
0: And his issue, just to step in for a second, his issue with people who are homosexual is that he feels like it takes away from the, like, masculinity. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that we saw in, the, in League of Our Own, mm-hmm. the masculinization of women, it's like the feminization of men. Yes, yeah. what he sees. Um,
1: That's how he assumes close. everyone is.
0: Yeah. He, he thinks that a real man, like, you can't be a real man if you're attracted to another man.
1: Yeah, He says something like, uh, I, I can never be in bed with someone with more chest hair than me. Yeah, it's like really, some really toxic, toxic stuff. language, right?
0: Yeah. That, uh, yeah. But it represents a worldview that was clearly like the thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it really starts to get the hammered home when, when they're in court and they're, um, the people that they're fighting against, the company that Andy used to work for, the m- things that they use to try and present this is why they're on the right, and it really starts to kind of irk it. Yeah, Joe
0: well as an as it would be i assume with any kind of like illegal firing of somebody like if you fired a pregnant woman or you fired um a gay person like those are those are classes of people that are protected like Mm -hmm. you cannot fire them for that being the only reason so this company has to make the case that he isn't good at his job and that's why he's let go when everybody knows that that's not why he was let go he's proven that he's a He's good at his job.
1: Yeah, he started the movie getting promoted. Yeah. And that's sort of the defense that they use um, to, to mm-hmm. go against them. And But they even bring in, they, they smartly bring in, like they bring in an, a witness who was a woman who had contracted HIV. The uh, good
0: way. Uh, yeah. She
1: quotes. had, in a blood transfusion accident, had gotten in, and, and the way that that was dealt with. Versus this, where they're trying to prove, like, we're not, like, you know, we we know people like this.
0: Yeah, it's not about AIDS.
1: Which then inherently makes it worse, because you realize oh it's God. beyond the disease. It's this... It's
0: homophobia.
1: Hall of... Yeah. Um, and as we kind of come to the conclusion of the movie, uh, in typical courtroom drama stuff, the good guys win, but not without loss... Uh, the one the one scene I really liked was uh, Andy invites Joe to a, I think it's his birthday party mm-hmm. and it's a it's a as, as Andy calls it it's a gay party and there's a lot of like dress up and people are singing and dancing and but he gets Joe to come and Joe and his wife come and they spend time there and they have a big conversation afterwards it's sort of like Joe finally sees into Andy's world like beyond this sort of thing he had painted on him as like the him for a human
0: yeah there's a, a nice little arc for, for Joe where we see him very starkly on one end mm-hmm. of the issue. And I think by the end of the film, he's totally on the other side. Yeah.
1: And he has to, because he has to be, because I think he gets, I mean, his, his personal life is affected because of this. And so he has to kind of shift how he presents himself. And, but I think he has changed, mm-hmm. is what we're left with. Um, Then as the movie ends, we win the case. Some of the jury people uh, who approve of it, there's a few that disapprove of it, and that's shown to be, there are still people who just can't get beyond that he's gay. Right. Regardless of the evidence. But ultimately they win. Which I didn't
0: think was possible. I thought juries had to be unanimous.
1: I don't know enough about, I thought that, but maybe it...
0: If it's like a civil case or... Yeah,
1: I I don't know the details of that, but... Yeah, because I'm I'm used to the movie where it has to be, and there's always, you know, the 12 12 Angry angry Men. men, (laughs) Um, But uh, then, while the the court case is going on, Andy's getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and the movie sort of ends with him in the hospital, and this final moment of Andy and Joe, and Andy's clearly in pain and suffering and dying, and Joe helps him put on an oxygen mask and, like, touches him, really for the first time, like, on Mm -hmm. his face, like, looks him straight in the eyes, and it's a nice, beautiful moment.
0: Really wonderful. I mean if we can take a moment to talk about Tom Hanks's performance <laughs> <Is> <laughs> while this we're a here good place for that, yeah. you think. I mean Ugh oh, just this is like this is why we do this. Because this is one of the first examples that we have as viewers of the way that Tom goes all in on a role. He lost thirty nine pounds for this movie dyed his hair shaved his head like he he's a totally different person which we see later on in the rest of his filmography but i mean he i mean he goes all in he's playing a gay man which is like i don't think that was done really i mean he wasn't the first guy first straight guy to play a gay man and that's also very complicated and problematic Mm -hmm. we'll discuss that in a second but i mean this is a whole new role for tom that we hadn't had we haven't seen we've never seen him like this we just watched him be the literal perfect man in Sleepless in <laughs> Seattle. That is everybody's Yeah, it's opinion. a stark contrast. Uh, what did you think of Tom?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, it's it's hard not to... I mean, critiquing the acting in the movie is, is not fair. You have two, like, powerhouse power people.
0: Powerhouses,
1: yeah. To bring their A game. It makes complete sense why their careers went the way they did. Even yeah. after this, like, you're just like, okay. Yeah. Like, this is... Um, no but I, I, I'm the same thing and so much of this movie especially the sicker that Andy gets is powered by just his physical presence and how he emotes physically and the way that that sort of continues on and progresses is, is well quite good
0: Yeah, Tom won a few awards for this movie uh, he won the MTV Movie Award in which what a strange
1: correlation like just in terms of that
0: who knew uh 93 mtv movie award for best actor golden globe 1993 best actor and his first academy award for best actor
1: i don't remember who he was competing against that year but i it's hard pressed to beat it was a tom hanks in.
0: i watched his acceptance speech after i watched philadelphia and i i don't totally remember but in the clip like while he's accepting his award they cut to um who's that guy that's in I'm going to sound like such an idiot. He's in Taken. He's like that guy. Liam Neeson? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. They just showed him a lot in the speech.
1: Oh, it could have been. He might have been. uh, Schindler's List might have come out around the same time. Oh. So maybe they were both going for best actor. Do you
0: think he beat Schindler's List?
1: It's possible.
0: Oh, damn. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it was. He was competing against Liam Neeson in Schindler's List. Okay. Lawrence Fishburne, What's Love Got to Do With It? Haven't seen that. Daniel Day Lewis in *The Name of the Father*, haven't seen that also, and Anthony Hopkins *The Remains of the Day*.
1: Wow, that's a loaded slate of people.
0: Yeah, and he beat them. Wow, what an Congrats icon! Iconic. And then he won for Forrest Gump the next year. Spoiler alert.
1: That's a that's a that's a we'll get it, we'll get it we'll save Double we'll say that yeah, um so. I'd, like to, I'd be curious, um, you had talked about it previously, that there's some elements of this that are especially notable right now. We just had, there was a movie that Scarlett Johansson was going to be in, mm-hmm. where she was going to play a trans woman, mm-hmm. and the internet rightfully freaked out that why would you not cast a trans woman in this role. Yes. Um, and she ended up backing out, and it's sort of interesting to put that on. So this is early 90s. Tom Hanks is going to play a gay man. Tom Hanks is a straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you where do you sit on that? I know this is, this is a loaded question to bring up, but...
0: No, it was something that I was thinking about the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's probably pretty obvious how I... I'm always, like, pro-representation. That's yeah. always the stance I'm going to, like... be
1: crazy if you were like, I am.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's a... It's in the context of... The time that this movie was made, it makes sense that this role was given to a straight white male. Like in the political climate, in the social climate, like people were not ready for an openly gay man to play a gay man, I guess. That just seems.
1: Yeah, no, the, there's such a layer to it because obviously we would want a gay man to play this role. But the movie is also about how the world viewed that. Mm-hmm. And sort of this idea of would how would people have looked at this movie? could this movie have been made without having the star power? And how does that dictate? was it is it worth making those choices to get the to get it seen by an audience? Right? Like does this do enough good that maybe it can be done better in the future? And that's I think I struggle with that because I want representation belongs there. And in the sense this is going to get watched by watched by people and seen, um, because of its star power by people, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I you know, I can't help but wonder
0: what,
1: what could different have been. and what could have impact it could have had for the gay community to have it represented properly?
0: I agree. So it's I just did tough I did look up some of some stuff in this. Um, the movie had at least fifty extras who were HIV positive. Oh, wow. Okay. Including, featured pretty prominently in the courthouse. Mm -hmm. There was even, I think, a woman who has a turtleneck on who has, like, visible lesions on her face in the movie. Which is incredible. Yeah. That is, from what I know of that time period and the way that movies are made, that just, like, that's a huge step. It's better than nothing, obviously. And I don't know how we feel about, like, baby steps, whatever. Um, And that also, Tom... And Antonio Banderas, who I can't remember his character's name, they had scenes together that were cut out of the movie that kind of um, put more light onto their relationship. I think there's a scene where they're in bed together. Do we ever see them kiss in the movie?
1: I I don't remember, to be honest. I don't
0: think so. I was kind of looking for it because I was like, that would be huge, knowing how like... When I was, you know, 14 and watching Pretty Little Liars or something, like if there was a woman, ki- like Glee, there, there was a whole big episode about a woman exploring her sexuality. And that, that was like, a big deal. fucking yeah. when Madonna kissed Britney on stage, like the entire world collapsed.
1: I, I have to look into it. I, I would wonder if the studio would, would prevent that and cut stuff out from that.
0: Yeah, well, they did for sure take out those scenes where Tom mm-hmm. and Antonio are in bed together because I'd read a Tom interview about it um which is just it's interesting. I think it was probably I think with my limited understanding of how movies are made and the way that progress is made socially um I think that was the right call to put two big huge players like Tom and Denzel. And I and I read a the Roger Ebert review of the movie where he specifically notes that this movie did it had the same level of cultural impact that um guess who's coming to dinner had yeah the movie about um an interracial relationship that's like what this movie philadelphia did for the gay community and the hiv positive community what guess who's coming to dinner did for
1: yeah i would have to assume that from a from the filmmaker's perspective it was the option of the studio will not let you make this movie because yeah. the studio has no interest the studio doesn't care about getting it made they care about the money from it mm-hmm. um Unless these this criteria is met, and maybe the filmmakers thought it would be better to have it made and seen than to let it not be made. Yeah, um,
0: that's why Bruce Springsteen did the main song mm-hmm. in the opening title, and he won the Oscar for that. Because um, that's a whole s- separate group of people that will now go see that movie that probably wouldn't have seen it before. I don't know. I think it was the right. I mean, clearly, it was a this movie's a, a huge movie that people look back on, it's like the definitive.
1: Yeah. And I do, I genuinely hope and I think it has done really great things and uh, especially for, I mean, representation of film is still a hot button issue. Clearly, if that's 2018, we're having this discussion about movies where that's an issue. But I do hope it was positive and that the choice was right. And I, I think, I mean, to me, it was something that I saw that opened, was enlightening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, that's a weird one. a one. And there was
0: something kind of like, icky about like praising somebody for playing a character and I hope that doesn't I hope it doesn't sound like that's what we're doing
1: no it's I know I think I understand what you're saying the movie is the movie is about people and communication and discrimination and like just being these people who are just nothing but themselves so to say that it's like a gay movie is really unfair Mm -hmm. and to say that and I think anything of that nature would be misreading the movie. Like, this is about people struggling with the human condition and how they overcome that and how people who don't have that who would think badly of it because they're uneducated, how they have to adapt for it. So yeah. it's kind of coming in from that angle. It's a interesting approach. Yeah. It's um, hard to
0: deny the impact, I think.
1: Yeah. It's, it's sort of... And it's, it's such a definitive thing for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Well, I did want to talk about... Um, the actual Academy Award speech that Tom gave, okay, because it is noted as one of the most like memorable Oscar speeches ever given, and it's it's like such a treat to watch. Tom is so well spoken, and you don't even get the impression that it was like written for him. Like you feel like it's all genuine. Clearly, I had like talking points, but the first thing he does, and I put a link on our Facebook page if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, the Tuck and Tom. Facebook page. Um, Tom accepts the award. He thanks Rita, who says, "You know, love like this." He like wishes any, everybody could have it. He's so in love with her. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Then he thanks um, the union in general for giving him the opportunity to like play this role and for be represented cl- uh, fairly and like all that stuff. And then um, he specifically thanks two of his theater teachers in high school, who he later like acknowledges were gay and maybe are gay. I don't know if they were alive at the time. But anyway, he he gives like a really meaningful speech about how he has two people in his life who are very important to him who are also gay. Mm -hmm. And it's not even like about that, but it is. It's a wonderful speech. And everybody should watch it. I, like, teared up while I was watching it. He's so passionate. And then he does a whole section of his speech about all the angels in heaven. Tom recognizes that this movie wouldn't be made, and it wouldn't have given him this huge success in his professional life if it weren't for him being able to tell the stories of people who... This is, like, their real life. It's mm-hmm. not just a movie. And I think that that always makes... When they're when that's included in in ex- speeches, it it shows that the actor has a real understanding
1: and I think that understanding is why the movie lives has such like a, a legacy living on because it's clear that he did it beyond just financial gain like it was important to him and that's why he chose it and then had people in his life that I think he went to to like make sure it was as realistic and represent represented that community as, as accurately as possible yeah sounds like
0: yeah um, yeah it was a lovely speech
1: so I'm curious I I have I take weird issue. With this movie, not in its content at all, but in its general... And I think it could be, as you, since you're talking about that stuff that was cut out, I think it's in how the movie presents things and how it was created in regards to... We have Denzel's character, who is a really rounded character. Mm. But every other person in the movie that we're fighting against is just a, a one-note villain. Mm. And I think that kind of hinders the movie for me, because I... I think those people absolutely exist but it makes it really at at no point do you ever start to like think that change could come for these people or that there'll be like some revelation to them and the movie doesn't get that and I don't know if it necessarily needs to but they're just bad people and we wish them to be like we're excited that they're going to lose yeah and um it hammers the point home effectively but I think that what they do with Joe's character so effective that we're gonna get that anyway um and it kind of falls into that i don't know it, i can't even think of how to like properly f- formulate my words it does it does so many great things but then does them in this very standard way mm-hmm. as it goes along it's such a strong open and especially the library scene and then has moments that are really powerful but then like most of the courtroom stuff is like very standard courtroom we know what's going to happen yeah at no point I think do we ever think he's going to lose we don't get any type of moments where we think he's going to lose, but the way that the other side of the thing was portrayed to me was a disappointment only in that at no point did I like I knew what was coming from the get go at that right they're just they're evil people they're going to get what's coming to them
0: that are driven by hate that's yeah, it.
1: yeah. And maybe that's I think that's saying. the I mean those people deserve what's coming to them in the context of the story and uh. I don't know. There's something about it that bugs me in that regard.
0: I think I know. I, I see what you're saying. And I don't think I had really understood that or felt that way while watching it. But now that you're pointing it out, it makes a lot of sense. It kind of does them a disservice to not give them a little bit of humanity, you think?
1: Yeah, and it's not even that I think that they deserve it. But it would make for, an in- I think, a more interesting, rounded experience to kind of see is anything that's happening to them... Changing because I think people do exist that this they're not going to change, and if that's the if that was the intention then like you nailed it um but it does sort of strip their character down to very basic yeah. villains and the movie's about Joe and Andy, so that's not the focus yeah, but it does take there are moments spent with Joe and Andy that I think could be even more powerful if we saw sort of this that what they were doing was doing something beyond. Just this, you know, hurting these people financially.
0: Yeah. Well, I think they they attempted it a little bit. Um, specifically, I think there's two people that are on the stand. And Joe asks them. The first guy, he says, are you gay? Yeah. And the guy will not answer. To me, that was implied that he was gay. Did you pick up on that? Did you feel that?
1: Uh, I don't know if I thought he was gay or if he just was like so, so offended. Well, that and if, if, if people would... If any response he would have would seem like he was being defensive, or like he was in he couldn't he was in a hole and he couldn't get out of it.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Though I do think the moment where I think it's um, I think Andy says it where he describes his coworkers as like the reason he worked for them, and you expect this like speech about well, you know, in the end they were these bad this bad company, but he was like they were great. They uphold the law in the way I want to uphold it. Yeah. It's like kind of shocking to, to see. I really liked that moment. Me too. Um, I
0: also, I I was impressed by the moment where we we learn so much about uh, the character of Andy when he's on the t- on the stand and he's being cross examined by the other side. <clears throat> and they're they're asking him basically like, it's like a character. Um,
1: trying to like destroy his character
0: yeah they're trying to set an example that he's a dishonest person we find out that tom has been in this long-term relationship for you know forever with antonio banderas's character and but and and i'm not taking a stance on this i'm just giving the information that's presented in the film that he knowingly had unprotected sex in you know like a a movie house an adult
1: movie house yeah
0: um with somebody who wasn't his committed partner and that is implied that that's how he contracted aids yeah um and that that doesn't make tom's character look good no that makes him look like a bad guy because they even ask him straight out like could you have infected your partner with this and he's like yeah and i don't know what it doesn't really tell us anything about him other than like he's not perfect but nobody is so it might have been nice to see that from the other side that they're not all bad
1: yeah i could I, I think stuff like that where like i would want i almost i want more time with antonio banderas's character because i think I their relationship if i would have
0: loved more context
1: because uh, i think that moment is huge because it, it adds more to, to more to andy's character to like really get into like this is just a human he makes as many mistakes as anyone and has to like deal and cope with them and is now like in this cycle of not destruction. Like it's like things are going really well for him. And I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's all tough. And the movie kind of gets into like there's that territory where like the, it knows exactly what it's doing to mess with your emotions, which sometimes it plays and you just play, you play into its hand where it's like, we know what's going to make you cry. What's going to make you cheer. And it kind of goes through the beats of, Every good Oscar movie, right? Those like it's 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 a little bit emotionally manipulative. Mm-hmm. The subject matter at hand is 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 I think presented handled really well, and we l- learn a lot of stuff about. I mean, there's still stuff I learn now about where like you know, you just don't think about things, you don't research things enough, mm-hmm. and uh, presenting the world as it was, but it does sometimes feel heightened to like you know, just how can it toy with you? What can we? We know how to get the emotion where you're going to, like, really take into this moment.
0: Are you referencing the two-minute-long home video sequence at the end of the film?
1: Could have been. I, weirdly, I like that. But at the same time, I know it is it is just intended to make me feel even worse at what I'm about to, like, see at the very end. Right. Um because it doesn't necessarily add anything to anyone's character, it just sets you up with more information to make you feel worse.
0: Right, so that you, when you leave that theater and you're ready to make your vote <laughs> for which movie's the best
1: of the whole year. Like, I cried the most at that because they actively made sure I did. Yeah,
0: this is the one that made me feel the worst about society.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I struggle to wrap my head around it because I think what they present and what they did is very important, and the performances are great. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the way they got there frustrates me from a filmmaking perspective. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, like those aside, like I still find it like a very pleasant—not the word at all—but like a very uh, engaging watch.
0: Yeah, I watched the whole thing through. I could have been swiping on Tinder the whole time, and I wasn't.
1: (laughs) Be a weird one. That's like a Seinfeld sketch.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: Just not Schindler's list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um Okay. So, how do you think well, who's the director again?
1: Uh Jonathan Demme.
0: And how does this film compare to the other ones you watched in your little binge of? He
1: uh, it's kind of it's kind of like a middle thing. Okay. He did I think Silence of the Lambs is maybe a masterpiece. Mm. And I, he does a, a great 80s comedy called Something Wild that I think is incredible and Stop Making Sense, which is the Talking Head documentary. Right. Uh, it's just a live concert presented in like, the I don't know, it's one of oh. the most engaging live concerts I really stylistically. And, um, but it, it makes, I, mean, I don't know what this, what opportunities this movie presented him or why he, I'd be really curious to like hear a commentary track from him of why he chose this movie yeah. like what about it like spoke to him um, but I feel like he's at kind of at the top of his game he can kind of do whatever he wants and chose this so I think it must have been something interesting and it's, it's good in his in his resume
0: okay and what about Tom how do you think this compares?
1: In terms of pure acting I think it's I would put it probably medium of movies that we've watched of his and then upper tier of acting just because he gets to do something we haven't really seen we've seen like serious roles but nothing where we're just watching a man degrade Physically well, this is the
0: one that changed the entire trajectory of his yeah. career, I think. I mean, I don't know, but...
1: I think I put it in the back of my head because when I want to think of like great Tom Hanks performances, I don't want to think of this only because it makes me feel bad because you're like, uh, true. this is the one.
0: This is it. Um, what about you? I don't know. I'm not normally a fan of dramas, just in general. Mm-hmm. I, I like movies that make me feel happy, Yeah, and I like movies that are funny, And I like stupid shit. Um,
1: Not ones that violently bring you into the real world and you're like, oh.
0: No. I mean, I understand it and sometimes I'm in the mood, but it's never like, oh, I'm going to go watch Phantom Thread now, (laughs) even though I loved that movie. But um, (laughs) it's just not those movies. It's not what I'm drawn to. It was a real treat to watch Tom really kind of at the peak of his career. Nah, it's not fair. It's a really good example of his abilities. That's fun to watch. Obviously, I fucking love Tom Hanks.
1: <laughs> it's like, at the, it's like at a plateau usually sounds like a bad thing, but it's it the plateau where like he now is at the top and then just doesn't stop.
0: Yeah, and it seems like out of all the dramatic roles we've had a chance to see kind of him dipping his toe into and um, also contrasting this to Sleepless in Seattle, which had come out in June of 93, even though the last podcast I said 94 a hundred times, <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. Um, I, for some reason, really thought it came out in 94. This movie came out, Sleeps in Seattle came out in June of 93, and Philadelphia came out in December, and they're wildly different characters. I mean, he's showing off his range, and why he, I mean, this guy can take anything to success.
1: I would vote you watch them in reverse, though. Watch this, and then a little pick-me-up can be Sleeps in Seattle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Um... So it was, it was enjoyable to watch him. I think everything lined up perfectly for him in this movie. The character was great. He did a great job. The script was great. The movie was great. And it it's just neat. It just worked out. And I think it had a huge cultural impact that we still feel. Absolutely. Good. I'll give it five stars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know where if I think I would put it at like around um, three-ish. Okay. I think. Again, killer, killer, killer performances, and uh, beautifully laid-out subject matter. But the filming kind of bugs me.
0: I can understand. So that wraps up our conversation about Philadelphia, and uh, now it's time for our favorite segment. I'm not gonna do a drum roll because we did it last. Oh weekend. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hank's happenings! happenings. We're getting really good at that. But yeah,
1: we're in sync now. Yeah. What do you got?
0: Well, there's so much. Always. Uh, the one we're going to focus on today is something that we talked a little bit about. I think, I don't know what episode, but we've talked about it in the past how we really wish that there was an outdoor movie type of any Tom Hanks film, so then, because we could go to it. Guess what? There is. Senespia so is doing a showing of Big on Saturday, August 25th at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Um, it's a 30 year anniversary of the movie Big, and they'll be playing it on the big screen. I mean, we're not affiliated with it at all, but... <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and we don't have any cool, like, go to this website slash Podhanks TomCast.
0: Right. I mean...
1: It just looks cool and we want to go.
0: Yeah. I'll be there for sure. I think you're still figuring out if you'll be able to go. Yes. No promises. Fine. Hopefully Tom Hanks is there. He won't be.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, but probably not.
0: But, I, yeah. I'll link that. Um, and hopefully, if you guys are there, hang out.
1: Come see baby. a
0: cute picnic blanket or something.
1: You need like a picnic blanket with Tom Hanks' face on it. Or just the podcast logo. You can be like, whoa. That's a great
0: that's idea. That's where
1: you find these people.
0: I'm on the case. Yeah. If you're interested... Oh, wait. What movie are we watching next?
1: Oh, uh, oh it's Forrest, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, right?
0: Yeah. We need to go out to eat at Bubba Gump's.
1: I've never been.
0: I've only been a few times. We'll talk only about it Only a
1: few times. So that's an important detail. That would be funny. We should do Forrest Gump and then a Forrest Gump review of Bubba... Oh, wait. A Bubba we should do Forrest Gump, Gump and then a... A review of Bubba, of Bubba Gump. Gump.
0: As a minisode? Yeah. I love!
1: Or just in the episode. I guess minisodes are how we whatever, should do it. Whatever, but... whatever.
0: We're bringing some real podcast ground here.
1: It's going to be awesome. I'll we'll have some shrimp.
0: Yeah, I won't, but I'll watch you.
1: Oh, yeah, fair.
0: Cool. Okay. Um, so, if you're interested in continuing the conversation, I especially would love to hear anybody talk want that wants to talk about the issue of representation in this film... Um, if anybody can offer some of their own personal insight into the actual climate of the world when this movie came out, or even the U.S., just like anybody who's older than me, yeah. <laughs> that can offer any insight. Yeah, love and, and,
1: to and hear. In, how, in media representation for movies and film, how, how how things like this were viewed.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can really talk about, and I would love to hear.
1: Mm, and um, we're too young to have, we grew up past it, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're lucky enough that... Things are different. Yeah. They feel different. They might not be, but they feel it for me, a white woman living in Los Angeles. Um, Cool. Uh, You can do that by visiting our website, TalkinTom.com. That's talking without the G. We've also got a Facebook group. We've got an Instagram. We've got Twitter. We've got a SoundCloud. Everything's under...
1: Hanks TomCast.
0: That's where you find us. I'm available by DM. (laughs) Hit me up.
1: And Tom, if you're listening, let us know and we'll uh, schedule that interview.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Great. Um, Okay. Well, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Uh, My name is Josie.
1: I'm Daniel. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for listening.